This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. Welcome to another Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. You know, for quite some time, I sense that God's about to do something in a very corporate and significant way. I know we've always said that over the years, and we've all had moments like that, but I really sense something in a very significant and corporate way God's about to do something. In fact, I sense there's been a stirring in the wind, so to speak, a a stirring in the mulberries, a a time of change and renewing and new era, new beginnings, a season of transition. I sense all those things are about to take place in a very significant way. And yet I was looking back at an article I wrote in November of 1995, and but I believe that message that I shared, that I'm going to share here in a moment, is so significant that it really is more for today than it was even when I first wrote it all those years ago. And I think you'll get a chuckle out of the title of that message that I shared. It was called, If We Will Go, He Will Come. Now, you probably remember an old movie that says, If You Will Build, They Will Come. And it was kind of a play on words. But really, in Scripture, this message that I got was called, If We Will Go, He Will Come. And it comes out of Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. In fact, the Lord promises us in that Scripture that He is sending laborers into every town into which He is about to enter. You see, I believe it's time for us to be prepared and advance into the harvest. People are waiting for us. And if we will go, the Lord will come. So if we will go, he will come. So how many of us would say that, that that we want to be used of God? I know I've said that from the very beginning when I first got radically touched by God. I said, God, I'll do whatever you want, go wherever you, wherever you want me to go. I want to be used by you, Lord. I believe all of us who are Christians would, would say we desire for God to use us. I also believe we would also agree that if God spoke something to our hearts, then he would do something in us to fulfill the desires of our hearts If we would obey him, he would do a work in us and through us. I believe the Lord is asking us all, including myself, a question and making a promise at the same time. If we will be faithful to go where the Lord leads us, then he will meet us and souls will be added to the kingdom. Our offices in Houston, Texas received the following email. Pastor Doug, I know you have connections for people all over. My half-sister notified me that trees have fallen on her mother's house and left a gaping hole in the roof. Her mother is 81 years old and cares for her other daughter who is 62 and disabled. I'm trying to find someone who can fix the roof. They live in Birmingham, Alabama. We read the email and quickly reached out to the Somebody Cares Network. Within moments, we had a connection. A roofing company in Birmingham was willing to assess the situation and make the needed repairs. Somebody Cares is a net that works. We need people like you to help so that we can continue to serve others. If you'd like to join us, visit somebodycares.org, or you can text your donation amount to 805-422-7348. That's 805-4CARE48. The question posed to us is this, will we be faithful to go where he leads us? When we hear God speak something to our hearts, will we obey? As a ministry, God has been speaking to our hearts and for many, many years, and, and we're faced with this same question. But will we be faithful to hear what the Lord is speaking and to go forward to reach out to this generation? 
During the past few years, the Lord has been unfolding His Word in us through dreams and impressions and words that have come forth through our elders and staff and and confirmed through other friends of the ministry. I would like to share some of those things with you, and I believe that as this message unfolds to you today, you will hear the Lord's heartbeat for this generation and His calling on our lives. Now, as you listen to this message, I pray that God would speak to your heart as an individual, and that together, as the body of Christ, we would hear God's challenge to us, His church, to be prepared and to go, because everywhere we go, He will come. Let me preface this message with this exhortation. Within some circles, it is common during services for someone to deliver a word from the Lord. Perhaps this happens so often that it's not really heard or received into the hearts of the congregation. During some of the things that we have done and some of the services we've had, if someone does have a specific impression or word, then they are asked to submit it to our leadership before it's spoken, because we want to make sure that we submit it and that it's in the context of the Holy Spirit speaking to us as a congregation or in a larger setting rather than something just someone feeling a passion about a specific feeling they're having or an impression they're having for themselves. We believe that it's proper biblical order and and it prevents confusion during our meetings. However, when a word is delivered, it is important that we take it seriously as God is trying to convey His heart to us and to do a work through us. This leads me to another question. Do we have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say to us? Have we begun to take the Lord and His word for granted because we hear it so often? Have we become weary and discouraged in the journey and therefore we're not sensitive to God's voice as we once were. We may initially say, of course not. Even when we look back at the children of Israel, we can see a similarity between them and the church today. For example, in Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, we read, Then he journeyed to Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became discouraged on the way. You see, the first three verses of that chapter explain how God fulfilled His promises. Throughout the book of Exodus, we read of all the wonderful works God did for His people. Yet the people became discouraged. And in Numbers 21, verse 5, it says, The people spoke against God and against Moses. And they said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our souls loathe this worthless bread. Another translation would say they detested this worthless bread. What bread were they talking about? That was the manna sent from God, God's heavenly manna. They detested the manna God himself provided during their desert time. Though they'd received daily provision from the Lord, in a time of weariness, they lost focus of God's goodness. And oftentimes of weariness and discouragement in our own lives, We are tempted to detest the very life-giving things God has given to us. So the question comes back to each of us again. Will we hear what the Lord is saying, and then will we obey Him? Remember, I've shared in times past that simple obedience to God is the highest form of worship. We must neither detest nor loathe what God is speaking to us as the church. In order for us to hear what God is saying, our hearts must be open to receive from Him. And during one of our Friday Night Alive services we used to do back in the 90s and the 2000s, one of the leaders brought forth a prophetic word that I'll share with you later in this message. A few minutes after he gave the word, an elder of the ministry came forward and asked us a question. 
He asked if we really heard what our brother had shared. Did we hear the word of the Lord spoken to us, and did we receive it? We were exhorted not to take God's word lightly, nor for granted. It seems that in the midst of God's great provision in our lives, we can begin to take Him for granted, and even the things He's given us for granted, and His direction for granted, just like the children of Israel did, as we saw in the book of Numbers. They began to loathe and detest God's manna, His provision for them. The people became discouraged and wondered how long, how long would they be in the wilderness? They murmured and complained and failed to give thanks to God for all the goodnesses of God. Likewise, when we become discouraged, we can lose our vision of hope, our vision of destination. Our focus gets off the Lord and onto our own circumstances. Yet these pressures and circumstances should be a catalyst to draw us closer to the Lord, not further away. It is during those intense times that we recognize our total dependence upon Him. When we go through trials, we are very much more aware of our desperate need for the Lord's intervention. Yet as God brings the breakthroughs in our lives, we can become ungrateful, seeing our lack rather than God's abundant provision and grace in the midst of our circumstances. Throughout the past 2,000 years, there have been two things that the church has overcome, and those things are poverty and persecution. In 2,000 years, every time there has been a season of poverty, the church has prospered. And in times of persecution, the church has increased, has, has grown. God's always prospered the church in the midst of poverty so we can bring the gospel of good news. In the midst of persecution, the gospel continued to be shared through God's people. Throughout church history and during times of persecution, revival still occurs. You can even look today. 2,000 years since the church was birthed, and we can look 2,000 years later around the world, and we see the persecution of Christians, the persecution of the church around the world. But in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances and nations I've been to, where the church is persecuted, it continues to grow. I can give you example after example after example where the church is flourishing in adverse circumstances, from Nigeria to Uganda to parts of other parts of Africa, to Iran, in the Middle East, in Indonesia, all over the world, China, the church still is flourishing, even though there may be adverse circumstances to try to diminish their influence. The church will not be stopped if we keep our focus and our eyes fixed on the Lord and our hearts and vision fixed on our destination. In contrast, When we find ourselves in seasons of relative ease and comfort, we can become complacent and dull of hearing. There are also two things which we haven't handled well, and those two things are what we consider peace and prosperity. The church has failed to grow during long periods of peace and prosperity. God does want His people to be at peace and to prosper, but not for self-adulation, not for self-benefit, not for self-absorption, or self-righteousness, but God gives us opportunities of peace and prosperity so that we can be good stewards to make sure the gospel of good news is going and making disciples of nations. It seems that during times of ease we get distracted and forget that our total fulfillment is found only in the Lord. Our eyes get focused on the material world and we become self-confident, self-reliant, and self-absorbed rather than relying totally on Him. When this happens, we must quickly turn back to the Lord, but it's only in that place of intimacy with Him that we find our true satisfaction. 
You see, I believe that Jesus set the example for us. As we spoke about in in Luke chapter 10, Jesus set an example for us and challenges us that we can walk in the fullness of the Godhead bodily when we sense, put our focus and our hearts on God and on the purposes of God. So Jesus set an example for us also in John chapter 4, in verse 34, when he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Likewise, if we want true satisfaction for the longing of our souls, then we must be willing to do the will of God. Jesus goes on to say in John 4, 35, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields, for they are already white unto harvest. Jesus told the disciples to lift up their eyes. So they must have been looking at something other than the harvest. See, when Jesus is saying to us, Behold, look up. Look up from where? Your own two shoes, your own two feet. Look up from self. Look up and see the fields are ripe and white unto harvest. You see, oftentimes we get so uh, self-absorbed, we look at our own circumstances, our own situation, our own two feet, our own needs, and we don't even look up and see the fields are ripe and white unto harvest. I believe the Lord is challenging us to say, look, your complete satisfaction, your food, the things you're looking for are not going to come in the things of this world, but look up and see that your satisfaction comes in obeying me. And behold, the fields are ripe and white unto harvest. Get your eyes off of yourself and get it back on to the harvest, back on to the fields that are ready to be harvested. And I believe that this is true for all of us. When we get our eyes off of ourselves and begin to look at the needs of others, our needs will be met and we will find our true fulfillment. In addition, there'll be souls added to the kingdom. You see, we must remember, even during times of peace and prosperity, keep our eyes focused on the Lord of the harvest and on the fields which are ripe unto harvest. There are souls crying out for the taste of the Lord's goodness, and we have an obligation to feed them. As we do the will of the Father, we'll find great satisfaction and fulfillment in our own lives. I had a particular experience uh, years ago which stirred my heart once again on the vastness of the harvest field. You see, you may be aware that my mother was Japanese, so uh, I was born in Japan, but I've lived in America most of my life. I was born in Japan, and for the first three years of my life, I was there, and and my dad, who was in the military, we moved back to California, and then I went to high school in Japan because my stepfather at that time was also military, and so went back to high school in Japan, but it was an American school. Uh, But it's interesting that in 1979, before I surrendered to the call of God, Two evangelists spoke to me a prophetic word into my life. And here's what's interesting. They said, God would use me in an evangelistic way and that he would open doors for me in Australia, particularly into Japan. Now, what's interesting, this is in 1979, I was managing a string of fitness centers. And it's interesting. Now, you fast forward to 2019 when I'm sharing this message now. And I was actually talking to some missionaries and pastors on the border, the Texas border to Mexico in a place called Roma. And so they were, as we were talking, and we've been sending truckloads of resources down there and to help with the, the earthquake in Mexico City a couple of years ago. And, and then most recently, and the, the humanitarian crisis on the border of Texas and Mexico. And so we were just talking on the phone. And finally, the, the wife of the missionary says, my dad says he knows you. I said, really? Well, how does he know me? She goes, he's a pastor in Houston. And before you started serving the Lord, he had a word for you. And you were outside of your exercise business off of 1960 in Houston in the Red Oak Shopping Center area. 
And she said, and my dad and another pastor pulled you aside and had a word for you because they saw you were running from the call of God. So now I'm coming back to this message that I wrote in 1995, and here I'm reconnected now with the very missionaries of the daughter of the pastor who was one of the ones that gave me that word. So let me go back to that. They said, God's going to use you in an evangelistic way and that he would open doors uh, into my life that would also reach Australia and particularly in Japan. Now, you know, it's interesting because throughout the past many, many years of ministry, God has opened doors in various parts of Asia and Australia and New Zealand and many, many other countries. But it's interesting, it was the mid-1980s after I'd surrendered to the Lord and, uh, and I was able to lead an Australian uh, uh, triathlete who was traveling around the world. I picked him up. He was hitchhiking in Houston, lost his pa- backpack, his passport, and so on. So I took him in and during that process had the privilege of leading him to Christ and so as he went back to Australia, people began to see, what, what happened to you? Andrew, uh, you're different. What happened? He goes, oh, there was a, a Japanese-American that picked me up and radically uh, began to minister to me, and I changed my life and gave my life to the Lord. And so through that, churches in Australia began to invite me to come, and Youth for Christ, and the Uniting Church, and Assemblies of God, and Baptist churches, and, and all these different people began to, Youth for Christ began to bring me over. So there was a fulfillment of that word immediately. And then, of course, other things opened up throughout Australasia. And, of course, since then, I've been to over 40, 50 countries around the world. And so I won't go into that, but it was interesting how this word given to me in 1979, when I wasn't even really serving the Lord, I was living in self, living in sin, and two pastors came to me and spoke these words to me. And so over the years, I realized, though, one of the countries that had not been fulfilled was the nation of Japan, where I was born. My heart's always been a part of praying for Japan. I had not been in Japan for decades, and I had the privilege of going back to see how the ministry could help. At that time, uh, the typhoon and the, and the earthquake Kobe. And so we saw then back then that after all those years, God brought me back to Japan, to another part of Japan I had never been to, to Kobe, Japan, But at the same time, God took me there to be able to see how we could help. I went to Yokohama, met with some folks there, and went on to Kobe to see how we could help in the devastation of the earthquake there. Fast forward now, the typhoons and the the other earthquakes and the tsunamis. And I've been back many, many times and had the privilege of praying for even people in their parliament or their congress, what they call the Diet. I've prayed individually and privately for many of their people in their government. So I've seen God do some incredible things in Japan. But at the time of the word in 19... 79, all the way to 1995, I had not even been back to Japan. And then the writing of this article in 1995, I had been back to Japan. And then now as I share this message in 2019, I've been back numerous times, in fact, praying about the Japanese Olympics, Tokyo 2020, and how God wants us as a ministry to be involved in serving over there and to bring the, and to begin to pray for God to move powerfully in the land of the rising sun to become known as the land of the risen sun, S-O-N. Well, I say all this one, because it, it validates that God does speak to us through impressions and words and dreams that it always has to be filtered directly through his written word so we know that it's not contrary to his nature, character, word, and spirit. But I do keep hearing over and over again in my heart as my heart breaks over the needs of so many around the world and, and I see the state of our own nation 
and that God wants the church to regain that place from our knee posture in His presence of God to be willing to get up and obey when God says go, because everywhere that we will go, He will come. God is telling us, take a step of faith, get out there, take my presence with you. We've been in the presence of God. Wherever we go, we bring His presence with us. And I really believe that God is also, again, as I said in Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, that as He says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest. Go your way, and I will send you out as lambs among wolves. God is preparing us to go, but he wants to be cognizant of and aware of the wiles of the devil, but give no place to the devil, that we go in the power of the risen king, the power of the presence of God, and where we go, he goes before us, and his presence is with us. The harvest is plentiful, and laborers are still too, too few. Are we willing to be those laborers? I believe that because of the long periods of peace and prosperity we've had in this country, the American church at some times have become apathetic and even complacent in our comforts. God is stirring us again. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. I believe the Lord is stirring us. We cannot say, God, I will do whatever you want, but we must be willing to do what God really wants. We can't just say it. We have to obey God. Many of us have prayed, God, whatever it takes, whatever you want, Wherever you want me to go, I want to do it. I want to go. But yet when the time comes, we're so comfortable with our own circumstances that we don't want to take a step of faith to go. I, I recall the children of Israel all agreed. In fact, they said this to Jeremiah. They went before him and they cried out to God and they went to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, whatever God wants us to do, go and find out and we will do it. We will obey. They all agreed. Jeremiah came back and told them what God wanted them to do, and they called Jeremiah a liar. They spoke the right words with their lips, but their hearts had already decided what they really wanted to hear. So the question comes back to us, do we really have ears to hear what the Lord is saying to us today? The way of the cross is saying to us, not my will, but your will be done to God. When we look at the book of Leviticus, one of the five offerings that was presented as a sacrifice to God was called the burnt offering, and the burnt offering represented total surrender to the Father's will. That's what Jesus did. Jesus prayed, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He became a burnt offering in saying, not my will, but total surrender to the Father's will. Jesus actually became the burnt offering, a sacrifice offered up to God for us. Likewise, we are told in Romans 12:1 to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. We are to follow after him. Jesus didn't say, take up my cross and follow me. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Our lives are, are the sacrifice we offer to God, our wholehearted obedience to his will. When we hear God speak, we must die to our own desires and self. God may ask us to do something we really don't want to do. Yet when we can obey him to, to do those things, we will understand that total surrender to his will does also come with a satisfaction of the longing in our hearts and souls. In fact, there are times I said to God, I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. And I, I said, I'll do this, but I don't want to do, do that, God. But when God put that burden in my heart to go, when I got there, I was so glad I did because it, it fulfilled the longing in my heart to obey God truly brings satisfaction to the longing of our hearts. There is great fulfillment 
hope and joy found in obeying God. And as we read in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, we see that Jesus is making a promise to his disciples. As he commissioned them to go into each place two by two, he promised if they would go, he would come. God's saying to us, I want you to go and prepare every city, every township, and every place I send you, and if you go, I will come. If you will go, I will come. We must be willing and faithful to go where he sends us. Are we willing to make that sacrifice to go? And, I, and let me just preface it with this when I say that it's really not a sacrifice to serve God, it's a privilege. Will we be those laborers who will help in the mighty harvest of souls? God continues to ask this question of us as a ministry, as individuals, and corporately. I believe God is saying to all of us, just simply say yes, make yourself available, and obey, and I will give you the desires of your heart. Years ago, a woman in our ministry submitted a dream she had to us. In that dream, she was standing by a hillside, and from the right-hand side going down to the left, she saw two powerful horses running by. First one, and then right behind it, another one. It was pointed out to her in the dream that they were neither black nor white. After a short while, many horses were running down the hill. It was pointed out to her that there were saddles on the horses, but no one was sitting on them. She somehow knew that the horses had a goal, as if they were going into battle. She felt strongly that she needed to find out what it meant and specifically to find out what the horses symbolized. Little did I realize that just a few days before, I was sharing a message about preparing the bride. I quoted the scripture which reads, If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with the horses? The verse goes on to, to add, especially when you have been living in the land of peace, Jeremiah 12.5. Shortly after this, a word came forth from one of our leaders during one of our Friday night worship and word meetings. You have heard it said in times past that the Lord of the universe laid aside his glory and crown to walk among men, meekly and humbly as a shepherd among his sheep. And during this time, many of you have grown weary in the waiting and have become entangled in things that have damaged you greatly, and you cried out to the Lord, How long, Lord? How long until the Lord hears my cry and delivers me from my afflictions? Know this, that even now the Lord is stirring himself to visit his people, but this time it will not be a shepherd's crook, but a sword. He is not riding on a donkey, but a great white horse, and his name is called Faithful and True, and he is coming in the clouds with power to receive his bride, which has adorned herself and which is without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. You see, there was something God was specifically speaking to us concerning these horses. We needed to understand that the, what the horses represented in the first dream, and we needed to understand what God was saying about the horses through the prophetic word. In the dream, the horses had no specific color. They were just two strong horses, and behind were multitudes of others saddled up and prepared to go into battle. Next, the Lord was saying that he himself is coming on a white horse with a sword preparing the bride. In Luke 10, verse 1 and 2, it says, If we go before him in every city or place that he was about to go. In Luke 10, verse 1 and 2, it says that we are to go before him in every city and place where he himself was about to go. The pieces began to fit together. I believe God is saying, Church, saddle up, saddle up. The horses are going to battle, but where are my laborers who are going to ride on those horses? 
No longer entangled yourselves with the footmen, but get on the horses and fight the battle upon the horses of God. We are that army that He is calling to be prepared. If we truly believe He is coming, then let's do something about it. Let's saddle up. Let's saddle up and let's go. And if we will go, He will come. God wants to send laborers into every city and place where He is about to go or manifest Himself. The challenge is that the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are still too few. Laborers are servants of the Lord. Serving is work and serving is sacrifice in the natural, but what a privilege and honor it is to honor and serve God. We are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to be servants. He wants us to take a heart of a servant to this generation. God anoints the sacrifice. We must offer ourselves not in words only, but giving our lives in service as seed for the soil of souls. We must give our lives in total surrender to the Father's will, and then He will consume us with His anointing in His presence. God anoints the living, breathing temples of the Holy Spirit, bought with the price of the blood of Jesus. He wants to consume us as the living sacrifices, and His glory fill our temples. As a corporate body of believers, when we gather in brokenness at the cross, saying, God, what is your will for us? What is your will for the corporate body? Then together we become a corporate anointed structure of people, of people who say, God, not my will, but your will be done. The issue is this. Are we willing to be a servant and willing to be, offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God? God is looking for individuals whose hearts are His and whom He can trust to do His will. Are we willing to be those servants? And are we willing to offer ourselves as living sacrifices? Are we individually willing to serve this generation who desperately needs the Lord? Those who are not settled in complacency, but are willing to say, Yes, Lord, here I am. See, I believe that God is searching the church and to find for Himself those who have not compromised nor settled in complacency. He will illuminate the church to find those He can truly trust and those who truly are brides without spot or blemish. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.